Okay, people, so it is part two of this week's Echo Chamber. And in part two, we take a look at a new documentary and then speak to the mastermind behind it. So buckle up and let's go. Righty, right. First of all, people, we will be taking a look at Tish, which is a new documentary about Tish Murtha. So um, it's crazy interesting. So let's get into it. Okay, people. So just back from a screening of a new documentary called Tish. It is from director Paul Singh. It's produced by Jennifer Corcoran, uh, executive produced by Mark Thomas, co-produced by um, Paul Singh. Uh, Oh, John Archer also executive produces, and it's associate produced by Harley Heasel. Music is handled by Alexandra Hamilton Ayers. Cinematography, we have David Lee and Holly Galloway, Angela Slavin and Lindsay Watson edit the piece. Production design, we've got Shean Colvin and Richard Drew. Shean also takes care of the costume design. Um, Emma Butt and Cassandra Rutledge work on the sound. Um, the film, well, we have got Shinfei Chen, who portrays Tish. Um, Maxine Peak narrates Tish. And Tish's daughter, Ella Murtha, is heavily involved. She's interviewing all the different people we see in the documentary, um, you know, giving insight into a mother and just um, all things such as that. Now, the gist is this. The third of 10 children, Tish Murtha grew up in Elswick in Newcastle upon Tyne. After finding a camera in an abandoned house as a child, Murtha became fiercely driven by her conviction to expose social inequality and the impact of Thatcher-era disindustrialization on the north of England. Murphy's lens was a window into the raw essence of everyday life, reflecting the struggles, joys, and resilience of the people she photographed. Her striking black and white photos convey a tenderness and intimacy that set her apart from her peers. And her work would become a powerful record of a world dominated by a new and ruthless capitalism. Tish's story is told via a series of intimate conversations conducted by Murphy's daughter, Ella, who has dedicated her life to establishing her mother's remarkable legacy. 
Through the poignant memories of Murphy's friends and family, the film traces the key works and moments in Murphy's life and career. Her powerful motivations and political views are brought to life through her diary entries, letters, and various writings narrated by Maxine Peake and accompanied by a patchwork of photography. So this is just fascinating, right? It, it's a fascinating thing. I don't, like, sometimes you look at stuff and you think, have I seen that picture before? I'm not quite sure. But I definitely didn't know the name Tish Murfer. So that's why this kind of stuff is so fascinating, because you really do get your eyes opened, right? And this documentary has done a fantastic job of that, because, you know, we have just a myriad of different people. Her brothers, she had three brothers, um, her younger sister, they all... Um, they're all featured with Ella talking to everyone and then her best friends, people she grew up with. So we really do get this whole kind of cross section of a lot of the different kind of parts of Tish's life. You know, we get that insight into, you know, her growing up, her at school, at college, university. Right, because we got two of her lecturers there. So that is, is fascinating, you know, right? Because I think you learn that she, you know, found a camera in this abandoned house, like when she was 15 or 16. And at the beginning, she was carrying it around, even without film, right? She just seemed to have this pull towards the camera and inquisitiveness, you know, of everything that's happening around her. And, you know, the question of why is this happening? You know, why is this considered fair? Right, which, when you think about the time she grew up, right, and in the 80s, it was Margaret Thatcher just decimated certain industries in the country. And for the most part, a lot of those industries were in the north, north of the country, right? So places like Newcastle, you know, Hull, Yorkshire, right? They really, Bristol, they, they really faced just the repercussions of everything that she did. And a lot of this is only brought to life because of people like Tish, right? So from that early age, you know, we, we learned that she, you know, had this affinity to um, the still image. And even though she loved to take photos, there was a hesitancy and a kind of a fear of putting herself out there. And so it was just she met this th these couple who let her use their darkroom and then they literally kind of <laughs> forced her to go to college right where she then picks up the the fundamentals right the the, the kind of you know the foundation which her raw skill can grow from
so I think that that's really interesting. But here's <laughs> one of the things, right? She didn't want to be confined within the rigidity of what people view certain types of photography, right? She hated the expression community photographer, which I'd never come across, right? And to be honest, I'd never come across documentary photography, right? I just kind of look at photography, you know, just having just different styles, right? I never broke it down into different kind of genres as such, like genres with titles, which when you think about it, yeah, you think, yeah, obviously they probably do have this all kinds of, you know, media and entertainment is usually broken down apart from comedy, right? That's the only one that hasn't seemed to have, you know, different kinds of um, categories. But yeah, she hated that term. And you can kind of understand because I think people try and marginalize people through certain terms, right? And she just wanted her work to speak for itself, right? And just get the platform to shine. But there's a struggle in that because a lot of times the people that are controlling the platforms, controlling the funding, you know, like to, uh, to play God, right? And so it's never distributed in a fair way or there's caveats right we'll give you this money but you have to do this in this way and that was something that she railed against she was not a fan at all which you know after learning a little bit about her isn't surprising right not surprising at all but her style of photos are really something I, I enjoy because I like, I always used to, I used to just call it the action shot, right? But it's kinetic photography that, I, you know, I feel I like. There's, it's where things aren't posed, right? You're capturing something as it happens. And that, I think, because it's in the moment. So you really get that raw emotion of what's going down. And when you look at those photos, I think, and especially if you were there, it really just brings everything flooding back. Because you can look and be like, oh, yeah. No, they're like that because someone just told a joke. And so, you know what I mean? That's not a look or shot. That's just, they're just belly up laughing, man. And, or, oh, we just found that out. Or, oh, they were telling this story. But all of those things can get brought up by the, by that, just that image, right? And she really just had a way of capturing an image. Now, I mean, anytime you have a family member involved in something like this, there is a bias, right? There's obviously going to be a bias. And I don't think you always remember things exactly as they were, or you have a maybe a, just a, a misperception of, right? So when she's talking to certain people, it is interesting. Because Ella's a bit like, 
you know, there was one time when she was talking to one of Tish's friends. I think I feel she was a Canadian woman. And um, it was just about, you know, the, the, the fact that there's not always a lot of women in photography. And her friend was just like, no, Tish was given certain opportunities, but she didn't want them, right? Because they meant that she had to conform to something or she wasn't able to, you know, I think take as many photos as she wanted to. Right. And I think that's always interesting and important. Right. Because I think you can have a misconception of something, but that's not because you were trying to change the narrative. It's just, I think, when you look at someone going through things, it can seem as if everything is one way. Right. So I think with Tish, there was always that struggle, like there's that struggle to try to make what she did something she could live off of, right, and just be comfortable with, but without having to compromise, you know, and yeah, she wasn't able to make it a really profitable, um, Oh my God, what endeavor, let's just say endeavor, you know what I mean? Um, which is just, it, it's a, a horrible shame, right? Because you, you see a load of people that can. So it's always just that wonder, like, how did that person make it work, right? What were the compromises they had to, you know? How come that person didn't get that same love, you know? But I think the fact that Paul and Ella have been able to bring this story to life and really just dig into her history, her story, right? The fact that she grew up in Elswick, but she moved around. She was in London for a period, you know, working in Soho, doing a, a, a project on, um, you know, prostitution. Right, which is just fascinating, you know, she did pieces on unemployment, right, that was a big thread going through her work, and it's just brought to us in this loving way, right, this way that isn't trying to sanitize who Tish is, right, we're getting Tish Murphy uncut and raw, and I think that's the, the, the just the best way to ever kind of explore someone. You don't want a sanitized version, only the good points highlighted. You want to know everyone because, you know, all of those different components work together to make who someone is. So if you only see part of that, it's a disservice. And this documentary is definitely not a disservice. It is fascinating with just being able to see all the images. Sometimes as well, we get the image, but then a video that's showing more of that situation, that sequence, which is, is fascinating because for the most part, all the pictures are black and white. 
So then you have this color video and just the difference, right? There is always a difference in the emotional impact of the two. So that is great. You know, and we get to see all of these different. And then when you have the diary entries and the notes and things like that, narrated by um, Maxine P, it really does, you know, just elevate everything, right? Really does. Now, the only thing, look, there's a couple of things. At the beginning, we have some narration, but the music behind it was a little bit loud. I would say, and then it's just, right, because, you know, in a good way, like, when people pop up, we do get, like, a, a, a caption will come with their name and all of that kind of business, and there's subtitles in there, just because, you know, certain accents are very tough, but it's white, with no solid background behind it, which is always a problem, right? It's always a problem, and it makes it really hard to um, to see. So yeah, it, that that's the only thing I will say that you know is a, a detraction on this piece of work. But otherwise, it's great, right? Another thing I didn't know, she has got her photography as a, a a permanent installment at the Tate Britain. So I'm definitely going, I'm a Tate member, baby. So I'm definitely going to go and check that out, right? So yeah, people, yeah, definitely do that. That's worth doing, you know? But she's also got free, um, Ella put out free books of Tish's work. So with this documentary, there is definitely now this great legacy of Tish Murtha. And that is a, a beautiful thing, you know? It's just a shame she wasn't able to, you know, appreciate it in her lifetime. But, you know, the fact that that legacy is there is great. Now, this documentary, people, will be out on the 17th of November from Modern Films. So um, there will be a link to the website, um, you know, on the website, right? So make sure you go there and you'll be able to find out about screenings and everything like that. You know, definitely follow Paul and everyone else involved because this was just fantastic. And if you like photography, right, you like art, you like political commentary, then Tish is something that you will want in your life, right? Because it's just going to enrich it, people. It's just going to enrich it. All right, so now we get to uh, sit down with director Paul Song who I bumped into just, uh, at the, at the, you know, before I went into the screening. It was just like, yeah, I had no clue. Just had a little cut and then worked out. Um, and yeah, he was kind enough to give me his time, right? Mad interesting. Uh, so yeah, here he is, Paul Song. <laughs>
Okay, people. So today I am joined by Paul Singh. He's a director, writer, producer, and um, yeah, he has got a very interesting new documentary just about to drop called Tish. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Good to see you. Hey, you too, man. You too. So, um, you know, the Tish screening was really interesting. And then with you, you know, the, the, you did the little Q&A afterwards, which was, yeah, very compelling. And I think with this, because, you know, I think documentaries are always fascinating because they kind of shine a light a lot of times on people and subjects that you're not fully aware of or you'd like to know more about, but you don't have that information. So that's what was really compelling to me about Tish. But what drew you to Tish Murpher? Well, the initial thing was, um, the, you know, the photographs, the images. And although, you know, Tish was taking most of those photographs in the Northeast, um, you know, in Newcastle particularly, it reminded me of my childhood. Um, there was one image in particular where one of Tish's brothers, Glenn, is jumping out of, um, on, well, on a semi-demolished kind of council estate, is jumping out of a window onto a big pile of mattresses. And it just mm. really reminded me of something that, you know, in my youth, I never did it because I was always too scared, but I had friends <laughs> that did it. And um, after, you know, seeing these images of um, often young people um, that just had a great empathy. Um, obviously, Tish was documenting inequality in her area, but I really think that she did so with, with with a warmth and because she was one of those kids she was able to get in very close and I think sometimes when we see pictures of um, working class communities that are not taken by people from those communities they can be quite othering and the thing with Tish's work is it was it was completely the opposite so the more I you know learned about her and who she was as a person you know through getting to know Ella her daughter the more you know her ethics um, and her politics kind of resonated with me and so i was drawn both to her work and also to her as an individual you know and what she believed in mm. and how like you know th these sorts of journeys trying to find that information and, and you know get to the bottom of who someone really is like how was that you know what was that experience like for you I mean, yeah, it was, there, there are obviously things that Ella already knew about her mum, and so we were privy to that. But what was, a kind, what was I suppose, revelatory was meeting people that knew Tish and things that Ella then learned for the first time about her mum. And I think the key thing that Ella realises in the film is, you know, having carried um, a sense of responsibility that, you know, her birth and Tish being a single mum, that she was responsible perhaps for Tish not, getting to where she deserved to be as a photographer, Ella realized that wasn't the case, you know, that, you know, she was, she was the apple of her mum's eye and, you know, she, but she wasn't the reason that Tish didn't, you know, become a, a very successful photographer. There were other reasons for that. So being present and finding that out, you know, pretty much at the same time as Ella was, was, um, was, 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 was very interesting, obviously, but was also, um, quite emotional you know particularly for Ella obviously but also to sort of be there and, and bear witness to it that was a fascinating moment because I believe she was talking to Tish's Canadian friend right um and I think that, that was probably with Daisy um who was 
Um, I don't think Daisy is from Canada. She's, um, I think she's English. But yeah, they were sat in the kitchen and it was it was mm. a Saturday morning. And um, yeah, I mean, Daisy had also taken all these photographs of Tish giving birth that are really beautiful pictures. And we, you know, we show some of them in the film and, um, you know, they look through the contact sheets and it's at that moment where, she, you know, just after that, where she says to Ella, like, you know, you were absolutely, you know, the apple of your mum's eye, whatever she says. And, you know, Tish didn't, you know, Tish wasn't as successful as she might have been because of other things. It wasn't Ella. You know, Ella was a great, wonderful thing, the best thing that ever happened to Tish. And it's lovely to see that and to see Ella's reaction to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, because Ella's just like, oh, yeah, because there's all these things that were holding her back. And she's just like, mm. well, no, your mum was given opportunities. She just didn't want to take them. And then you just see Ella be like, oh, yeah. And that was that's a fascinating piece, mm. you know, just seeing that realization of something, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's the beauty of documentary, you know, it's not scripted. Um, and the reactions are genuine when somebody learns something for the first time, whether that's something that they really enjoy hearing or the opposite, you're seeing the response, you know, you're not seeing a performance, you're seeing a real reaction. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, when you, you, you'd seen the pictures, you'd had, you, you know, you have a, a un, some understanding of who Tish Murphur is, but through this experience, how did that initial kind of viewpoint change? I suppose as time went on while we were making the film, um, I mean, Ella, as Ella always teases me um, and she says, you know, you, you love my mum, don't you? And and she doesn't mean that in a way like, you know, that I'm in love with Tish Murtha, but yeah. you know, it's like when you make a film about someone, um, you are very close to that person. With Tish, it's, it's a, an odd one because she isn't here, but through making that film, um, it's a weird intimate process that you know a lot about somebody's life, you're privy to information about them, but they're not there to talk to and they're not there to, you know, ask them what they think of something. So there is an intimacy that, you know, can develop. And, you know, I, I did over time in making that film feel very close to her and feel um, an obligation to represent her in a way that she would, would have liked. And I hope we've done that. Uh, I mean, Ella, Ella thinks so. And, and that's, you know, that's good enough. No, I, th I thought it was a fascinating piece because you're not trying to, you know, because I think sometimes with documentaries and films, right, they're like, oh, this person was great. They did great things and only great things and they're a yeah. perfect person. And yeah, you know, is is I just remember watching Ali, you mm. know, and they were like, yeah, Ali was great. Ali, Ali didn't do anything wrong. And you're just like, oh, I mean, Ali, there's a lot of things Ali did wrong, but he did so many great things as well. It doesn't take mm. away from those great things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just like show the whole person. And that, I feel that's what you've done with Tish. Like you didn't try and paint her as this amazingly great person. She was flawed. But that's, mm. you know, that, that tells you so much. And it gives you so much insight when you can see the flaws and everything else, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, you know, we, we all have our flaws. And you get to see, you know, 
I think you can't you it, it's like you know light and dark you know you need one to appreciate the other if you lived all in light all the time you know you wouldn't appreciate it and vice versa so I think with Tish we wanted to show that you know she had flaws she was stubborn you know she was somebody that um you know could be her own worst enemy but there were reasons for those things you know she was principled she had you know ethics that, that caused her to be that way and it wasn't you know a case of simply like wanting to be difficult or, or wanting to cause trouble it was who she was and um yeah i think it does paint a rounded picture of her and, and that was really important mm, yeah so how did the actual like documentary come about you know how did yeah and seeing those pictures then to be like actually let's make this documentary yeah i mean i i knew ella but um you know online only um as, as a lot of people know each other these days and i asked her if she was you know for making a film about her mum, and she said no um but she said look let's have a chat anyway and so we had this really lovely two-hour chat and then we met up in person this is this was just after one of the um lockdowns had happened in i think it was 2020 yeah 2020 and um we got on well we talked about the type of film we'd make also the type of film we didn't want to make in terms of didn't want to make something that was like you know sensationalist or you know was gonna concentrate on details in tish's life that weren't about the work or who she was um you know as a person and we found a producer jen cork and, and off we went and so we we raised some money on a kickstarter initially and then screen scotland and the, and Doc Society and the BBC got involved and yeah and, and then we basically made a lot of it during lockdown and then you know it was it was quite difficult to do that because there were times when although you know you could go out and film a lot of the people that we um you know were shooting in the film were, were elderly or vulnerable mm. so, you know it did quite a lot of the interviews outside um which is challenging and yeah but it it came together once we you know once we got jen on board it kind of came together quite quickly it's always you know the edit that takes a long time um i think our edit was probably god it, it felt like a year but it wasn't it was probably more like eight months um, but, you know it's a that's where it where documentaries are really made you know in the edit and documentary film editors are just as important as documentary film directors you know um it's a real making any film you know as you know is a very collaborative process but in documentary it's, it's in the edit where the film really is crafted and we had two wonderful editors you know in Lindsay Watson and, and Angela Slaven who you know both brought something to the film at points where you know when you're very close to something um you sometimes can find it quite challenging to to find the film you know it doesn't always happen that way but I think there were points during the edit where you know filmmaking is problem solving and there were times in that edit where you know I'd, I'd hit a wall or where you know maybe Jen had, had um, come to a point and Lindsay and Angela were both very good at you know opening a door and saying what well, if we go through this door then we could see this or we might you know do that and yeah it was it was of all the films I've made I mean I've, I've enjoyed every film I've made most of the time and I would say Tish though um, it was it was special you know it was it was something that really helped me at the time in terms of things that were going on in my life and maybe things that tish had experienced that i could relate to um and yeah i mean i really love the team that made it they're um such a great bunch of people and it's it's nice to be able to say that and mean it you know um, mm. and 
yeah, I, I would really, you know, now that the film's out and this is the fun part, you know, where you get to screen it and do Q and A's and you get to meet audiences and, you know, talk to them afterwards. And that's the really enjoyable bit, I think. I mean, filmmaking is largely enjoyable, um, but, you know, it, it's so challenging making documentaries these days with raising finance and everything else. And when it's actually made, you know, getting to go out, you know, and and, and represent that film, I think is is a really a, a real a real privilege to do that. And I'm really looking forward to taking it to audiences because there's, there's nothing like watching a film in a cinema, you know, on a big screen with an audience, and then hearing what they what they thought of it, assuming they like it, of course. If they don't, then it's probably the worst thing in the world. But I'm hoping people <laughs> like it. Oh man, a lot to unpack there, man. So with the edit, mm. you know, and, and all the filming and everything like that, what <clears> was the <throat> message going in? Right? Like what like did you have an idea of the start and the finish? You know, maybe the middle point of it, and you're just like, okay, so we're gonna start here, but let's try and do this. With like, what were you know? What did you tell your editors on putting this together? I mean, we knew <clears throat> that the um, <clears throat> Tish's politics were going to be front and center, um, and we had a sense of you know where the story starts in 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 Newcastle or in you know in, in South Shields, you know where Tish was born. And we knew that it ends, you know, with um, Tish passing away. Um, what was, you know, the the challenge was was working out the route. You know, how do we get there? And initially, the story was going to be linear in that Ella would meet somebody in Tish's life, have a chat with them, and then she would go and meet someone else, etc. So she, she would have met everybody one by one, mm. and that's when we did the assembly edit and we put everything on the timeline, that's how it was. It was, you know, okay, we start with Eileen, Tish's sister, and then, you know, we'll go and meet her friends um, that, you know, basically encourage her to go to college. Then we'll meet her first college tutor. Then we'll meet a university lecturer and so on and so on and so on. But it just wasn't working because if you needed to sort of know a particular bit of information about Tish at, at any one point, and it could only be told by one person, you you get stuck because if you can't then go back you know mm. to another person you know you either lose that information or you pack everything in early and it doesn't make sense because you're being told something that really you should be told at the end because that's where it would work in, in terms of the plot so we went back and, and we thought you know what we're going to abandon that idea you know because it was very much ella went on a i mean it, it isn't a road movie but ella kind of went on a road trip and, you know, she was, we filmed her in cars, we filmed her on trains, kind of musing about what she was doing. And that would have been a very different film. I think it would have been a good film, but it, was, it wasn't going to make sense in terms of plot and what you learn and when. So we went back and we decided, okay, you know, we're going to try and, stick, oops, sorry. We're going to try and stick to that a little bit in terms of, you know, we will meet Eileen at the beginning and then Eileen at the end will bookend things. That was always the plan. But we can meet other people, you know, here, there and everywhere and, and go back to them if we need to, to find something. It, and it worked in the end. But, yeah, that was, I guess, how it changed the most from how we envisioned it and how it then ended up. Okay. Right, right. And were there many reshoots that had to be done or, you know, things like that? Or did you have... No. Okay. Yeah, 
we we pretty much I mean oh oh uh, I think we ah you froze <laughs> hey man Hmm, I've I've lost you, it seems. The technical gremlins are interfering. Um oh, oh. what shall we try? Oh let me all right, I'm gonna move and let's add Paul back in and see if Hey, can you, oh, we're going to try and reset people. Dum, dum, dum. Okay, we're back, people. <laughs> Technical gremlins and all that. But, um, okay, what were we talking about? Oh, resh possible reshoots. reshoots. Yes, yes. So, no, we, we didn't. I mean, usually, you you know, you get to the end of, film and you're in the edit and your edit will say to you oh, i need this or i need that and i don't think you know there was anything that we we didn't have uh, i mean there were bits of archive we needed um which we hadn't necessarily we don't necessarily know until you actually are in the edit that you're going to need <clears throat> you know we need this bit of margaret thatcher or we need tony blair to say this um but there were no reshoots which was good because you know reshoots are expensive so <clears throat> yeah luckily we, we managed to just have the, the kind of problems and challenges in the edit were more down to um, you know storyline and and then finding and being able to afford certain bits of archive really. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, no, it's always it's always fascinating, like the whole uh, production process and how um, you know different projects approach things in different ways, you know. Yeah, but um, yeah, so that was all done and like how many run throughs were there like you you know you create the first time then you you did it a ne next time and was that mm -hmm. it or did you in, in terms of cuts of the film um i think probably i mean usually you know i think on, on the polystyrene dot there probably would have been 20 something different cuts of the film and and you know some of them wouldn't be you know significantly different there might be you know one that had a section in it that then wasn't in the next cut and i think tish would have been pretty similar like 20 something different cuts of the film but in terms of how many were significantly different i think it's, it's it was probably about three or four um i mean we, we were sending cuts to um the team at sheffield Dockfest and um and raul who, who and and um annabelle who run the festival um you know said to me you know when i met them that every time we were sending them a cut they were you know really marveled at how how better it was getting each time you know which you obviously always hope for and i think we probably in total would have sent them three or four cuts and the, the first rough that they would have seen would have been something you know when you see your first rough cut and martin scorsese has said this in an interview that he said he always feels really sick um and it's the thing i think a lot of directors go through that you watch the first 
time it's been brought together and you just think oh god like we've got so much work to do and i suppose it gets easier each time but yeah it, it would have gone through i would say maybe four versions that were significantly different each time but of course in between that you have to do like six you know smaller versions or, or changes you know that are not necessarily cosmetic but it's kind of like you know you're building a house and the final you know the final house is completely furnished it's decorated whereas those earlier houses you know maybe they don't have curtains or maybe they don't have um a sink or a toilet mm. and gradually you're you know putting these things into the house that make it you know somewhere that is is habitable and then is also somewhere that's nice to live you know you hope so anyway <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, that that's a good analogy. That works very well. Um, and what was the, like trying to get that funding for this? How was that? Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, it always is. I think um, there there aren't in in the UK there aren't um, too many people that are funding documentary. You know, there's some really great organisations. So you know, there's Screen Scotland and there's Doc Society who, you know, get some of their funding from the BFI. But it's a challenge. There are so many people like that are, you know, looking to access this money. It's, it's very competitive. And there mm. is, it's 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 difficult. I mean, documentary doesn't attract the same level of investment that um, scripted does because it doesn't make as much money. So, you know, average budget for a documentary in the UK, maybe it's 350 grand, maybe it's 400 grand. Obviously, people are making documentaries for millions of pounds, but they're, few and far between particularly in the uk so it is always difficult you know we were lucky that very early on we did a kickstarter and you know tish has got a lot of you know fans out there and they enabled us to you know shoot the film but then the other things that you need to pay for in terms of you know paying the for the edit paying for post-production paying for the archive the music licensing it all adds up and it's difficult at the moment to um to make independent documentaries um increasingly you know you you need to have obviously you know what's called soft money um for people like doc society or screen scotland and then usually you need like um a broadcaster or a streamer to be involved and that obviously complicates things because you've then got another set of eyes on the film mm. um, and a tv audience is different to a cinema audience um you know there's a difference between watching something at home and watching something you know in a cinema and I think when you show a film in a cinema, and that's what I always, you know, intend the film for, you know, I, I picture people watching it in a dark room with their phones off being captivated, whereas somebody at home, um, you know, in the living room, it, it might be bright. It might be that they've got their phone on the coffee table. It might be that people are talking. So it's a very different way of approaching, you know, who the audience is. Um, but I think... There are some, you know, there are some documentary is healthy in the sense that there are some really brilliant filmmakers and some really brilliant documentaries coming out, but it it's not healthy in a sense of being able to make a living from it. You know, it took me a long time to be able to um, do that uh, and not have like a, a, a job on the side, you know, side hustle as they're called. So it is difficult and it needs more investment. It needs people, I think, to be more bold. And when I say people, I mean, you know, I don't mean audiences, I mean streaming platforms mm. and TV broadcasters, because there is a real focus, I think, on films that are the films, the kind of films that get made, you know, you, you get 
this idea that they have to be about somebody famous or true crime or certain types of story get told whereas stories like tish's you know tish wasn't famous you know she wasn't the victim of a grisly murder so these films about you know people who in their lifetime were not recognized but who are brilliant uh, are quite hard to make because um it's a very risk adverse industry so it is difficult to get the, these things fine and tish certainly you know had a lot of challenges but you know hey I, i'm not going to moan now we got there in the end mm, which is you know fantastic right mm. it says a lot that you've been able to do that like yeah. why do you think documentaries aren't as you know like successful as they could be because when you look at i just remember seeing icarus and that was mm. fascinating but it wasn't about anyone famous it was about this you know the crazy thing was the guy was just looking to see what would it be like to do a race a bike race and then do it on drugs how would they actually <laughs> you know, improve the performance. And then the whole Russian thing broke while doing the document, which made it so compelling. But yeah, it's that story that I find is the draw. It's mm. not, oh, it's a, like there's a, what Netflix, of, I think it's Netflix or is it Apple? They just put out a documentary on David Beckham. Yeah, the, I saw that. Like, it was quite good. Yeah, but that has no pull for me just because it's David Beckham. Yeah right yeah. like it's not the name that's drawing me to i want to see pigeon tunnel because mm. i love john leclerc's books yeah you know tinker taylor just the, the whole um smiley mm. stuff you know so i want to watch that but it, it's yeah it's more the content that draws mm. me than the you know just watch it because it's about someone yeah i mean at the end of the day <clears throat> you know whether it's scripted or unscripted it's story, you know, and, and um, as human beings, we are drawn to compelling stories that, you know, tell us something about ourselves, I think. And I, I do think documentary is, um, it, it's getting more popular, but it's one of those things that I think um, when you watch a documentary, I think that, you know, depending on what type of documentary it is, um, it requires... I think it requires like, you know, an investment of of time and of concentration. Um, and I, I think a lot of the things that are on screen, you know, on streaming platforms, on TV, and, and not things that are, let's say, um, particularly challenging for viewers. You know, like we, we're mm. spoon fed quite a lot of, you know, saccharin, um, formulaic shows you know whether they're tv shows or, or or films as well and so i think documentary is becoming more popular but you know it's there's factual entertainment and then there's documentary and i think you know the things that are factual entertainment it's very obvious what they are um and just in terms in, in terms of cinema you know you've obviously got blockbusters and then you've got art house so i think documentary falls more into that kind of art house category and that it's niche um it requires you know um it, it requires a level of investment in, in terms of time and concentration that, you know, the, the average kind of faction entertainment show on TV doesn't. But I don't know, um, you know, what the the answer is, like, you know, how do we, you know, get around, you know, making it more popular or, or helping filmmakers make more documentaries other than to just encourage, you know, streamers and broadcasters to take more risks. And I think 
the people that are kind of the gatekeepers in the industry, you know, are commissioning things based on what they think audiences want to see. But I mean, it would be interesting and, and helpful to understand how they reach those conclusions. You know, what do they go by? Is it just viewing figures? Because people will watch what you put on, you know, not necessarily at certain times, but they'll watch what is marketed to them, you know, and that's, yeah. a, that's a key thing. Like if you're, if something is put in front of you, you know, you're more likely to, and, and you know, it's, it's advertised and it's marketed to you, you're more likely to watch it necessarily than going out and discovering it for yourself. And curation is key. You know, it's, um, it's, it's a real thing that um, as, as filmmakers, we depend on, you know, you, you, you make a film for an audience. And I think one of the key things you do at the beginning is think about who is that audience. But, you know, if your, if your thoughts are on who the audience is, you know, are not aligned with who a broadcaster is looking to make shows for then, or, or films for, then it's difficult, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely feel that's, you know, what you just said there is definitely a huge thing, right? It's the curation right mm. it, because a lot of times they'll put you know and we've seen it with shows over time like they'll put when i remember when friends was huge mm. i think there was it was there was a show josh whedon or was it jj no it was josh whedon had a show called firefly mm. and i believe they put it in the same same time slot as friends yeah and they were just like oh yeah not many people are watching the show i'm just like well friends is the hugest show at the moment so putting yeah. something against it is always going to be problematic but yeah. it's just it's doing i think there's there's certain tactics right and the studios and you know platforms will use and then it's just like well we're putting we put it there no one watched it i'm like but you didn't tell anyone it was there yeah right <laughs> but these other shows there's these elaborate billboards and trailers and all of this promo but that mm. you just put it there and no one knew Right. So it's creating a story, right? A narrative, I think, would draw people to, you know, documentaries and, mm. you know, different content that's out there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, now, of course, um, the time that something goes out isn't as important as it was because, you know, you've got on demand and you've got mm. catch up and all that sort of thing. But back then, yeah, it would have been commercial suicide to schedule something against friends when everyone and their dog was watching it yeah <laughs> uh, but um you know i think with tish as well i think what you said about you know because now it's completed and you get to put it out there mm. right so what is that like you know because i think you had your premiere at sheffield dog fest right mm. so yeah how did that come about well, we'd, we'd sent the film to to them um, and it, it got in and, you know, it was programmed. And then Jen and I got an email um, from, you know, the, the, the uh, people that run the festival saying, can we have a, a, a catch up with you, a Zoom? Don't worry, it's good news. And at that point, I thought, hmm, what could that be then? And I said to Jen, you know, I think they're going to maybe offer us opening gala. And she was like, oh, don't be silly. Of course they're not. And then I'm, I was on a train on this Zoom and the signal was coming and going. And um, <clears throat> when they actually had told us the signal had gone, I'm like, you know, I'd frozen on this Zoom and I was messaging Jen, like, you know, what's happening? And yeah, they offered us opening. God, it was wonderful. It was, um, I've never had a film in Sheffield before. So to have the first time there, a film I directed opening it, you know, it didn't get any better than that, really. 
but it was great. I mean, it was shown in um, City Hall, which is, you know, like a 2000 seat venue. Um, it was sold out. And I was really nervous. I don't generally get nervous you know, speaking in public, but this time I wasn't. My, my leg was sort of shaking. I was like, God, what am I going to do? And I was waiting sort of backstage and, um, you know, to go on and introduce the film. And on the walls backstage is like a list of um, all the people that have played there, you know, like the Beatles and David Bowie and Blondie and all these guys. And I, I stopped and read and was reading this. And I, and I just thought, you know what, you know, I'm just... I'm just a person that's going to go on and talk about a film, you know, that I directed and I haven't got to go out there and, you know, sing Ziggy Stardust or Heart of Glass. I've got this. It's, e it's easy. And then and my legs stopped shaking and I went out and introduced the film, but it was brilliant. It was a, it was a great night. It was a great festival. Um, it's, it's really good afterwards when, you know, you kind of, it, if, if a film has gone down well and, you know, you're having a drink and people come up to you and they sort of tell you, you know what the film meant to them you know um that it reminded them of their mum or that it you know it it represented a truth that they have you know there's no better feeling than that so it was good mm, mm. and why did you think opening rather than closing mm. well i mean opening is is i would say slightly better than closing uh most people <laughs> have gone home by the closing <laughs> film usually depends on the festival but i think the closing um, the closing film was either on a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, and, you know, we were there on Wednesday night, as, as it was this year. And most people come for the opening, you know, they mm. don't stay for the closing thing. But, you know, opening or closing any festival, you know, like Sheffield is, 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 a, is a big honour. So, yeah, we would have taken the closing one as well. But, you know, luckily we had the opening. It was good. Yeah, yeah. And with that... Mm you know reaction to something right how do you compartmentalize hmm, process let's say process how do you how, how do you process all of that because you know it, it's like people sometimes people want to say hateful things just to say hateful things right mm. and then sometimes things just don't connect with people but it yeah. doesn't mean it's bad or wrong, mm. you know? So if someone came up to you and was like, ah, I mean, I kind of preferred your last one, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that's not necessarily meaning that this is a terrible one. So how, how do you kind of, I think, analyze the comments, you know, all that feedback that you're getting and yeah. understanding that, you know, this is still a good thing, right? And it doesn't dishearten you on what you've produced. Yeah. I mean, a, a, a while ago, um, I, I generally don't read reviews unless someone says you should read that review, you know, because, you know, you work in a team on a film and usually, you know, you, you can tell generally if it's going to be a good review by how many stars it's got, you know, if it's, if it's got a star rating thing. And if it's a negative review... I try and steer clear of them because you know at the end of the day we we all have different opinions and I think if you go by all of the good reviews then you've got to go by all the bad reviews. Mm. So for me, if someone says something like "Oh, I preferred your last film," I would try and take a positive from that in that at least they liked something I've done <laughs> rather than you know some people probably hate everything I've done. You know, and you you I think 
for me, it, it's more important, you know, in documentary that the people that I'm working with um, and the audience that I think the film is going to find, which is, you know, hopefully people that will pay to see it at a cinema um, or not pay to see it at a cinema or will go out and see it rather than, you know, being people that are subjected to it, say, on television, um, that, that, that they connect with it in some way. I think, you know, it's easy to get carried away with with you know the good reviews and then you tend to remember the bad ones if someone says something bad about them that's what sticks in your head so you know I, I can't lie and say I don't read reviews but I'm quite selective you know if, if, if a review is really really bad I'm not going to read it you know just because it's um it, it gets in your head it really can get in your head and it's just one person's opinion I mean I generally try and you know it, on social media, if I if I like if I love a film, I'll post about it. If I don't like a film, I won't say anything because it's just my opinion. And yeah. If not that you know, I'm going to stop anyone going and seeing something. But if I've seen a film and I think it's poor or whatever else, I'm not going to say anything because I know how hard it is to make films, and I know that it's just my opinion. So, yeah, on that level and on that basis, I I genuinely. If someone wants to, you know, slag off a film that you know I've worked on, I just won't read it. And it's rare that someone will come up to you and say that was shit. <laughs> you know, usually come up and hopefully say that was good. But I've never had anyone come up to me to my face and say, say something was shit. Sure, there have been people that have thought that, um, and I've read <laughs> things online that have said that, but you know, not in person. People are generally not yeah. that rude to you, you know, on a, on a personal level, which is always interesting, right? Because someone's happy to do it behind that keyboard, but yeah. they won't say it to your face, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, social media and, and Twitter in particular, or X, what it's called now, um, is a bit, it's an odd thing because I suppose it's like, a. I, I sometimes see it as like a pub where you're not actually there in person. And the sort of things people will say, they're never going to say to your face. And I, I try if I'm posting to have in mind, would I say this to someone's face? Mm, mm. If I wouldn't, I try not to write, not always the case, you know, I'm human, <laughs> but I think, you know, there are the, the best thing and the worst thing about social media are the same thing. And that is you can say anything to anyone, which is both good and bad. Yeah. Um, the, the freedom that you have to, you know, say something to someone that you might not have any means of doing so in any other channel of communication you, you can do that but that's also a bad thing in that you know for people that say nasty things the people that discriminate for people that say hateful things it can be terrible and i think the impact on mental health from social media is you know really something that we will only i guess know the full repercussions of when studies come out you know years from when social media was, was first introduced you know when whenever that was like what was it 15 years ago something like that mm. but what i find interesting is it can easily be fixed mm. right because all you have to do is make it that people have to post under their actual names yeah and then it changes completely Definitely. right and a minute and a minute i can't say words yeah <laughs> i get that all the time and um i'll help you out the the anonymity yeah it's, um, yeah it, it, it does afford people a protection they don't deserve when they're saying mm. hate. I mean, anonymity is important in you know sensitive situations 
for people like whistleblowers or something like that but yes when you're just directing vitriol to people it's not a privilege that you deserve you know yeah and and i think you can't comment if you don't post yeah right you can't just create an account just to to comment and bitch like i think change that and you change what it is because i think you you need to be able to be able to be open right yeah. you you can't just have praise right mm. there needs to be the critic critiques of things as well yeah. but as, as you said what it and it's what i always go by i won't say something that i'm not prepared to say to someone's face yeah same yeah. and and i've gone through like just in life but especially with the film stuff is you know it's just like sometimes you watch something and it's just for you it's not great and mm. i always try and go for me i don't think this worked because of this yeah. but it's never just because it's shit right yeah. it's just like I, I there was this i didn't buy the relationship between the couple or the family yeah. or yeah. it's something like that but then i'll break it down like but I kind of felt it was similar too. So if you like that, I think mm. you'll like this film. Yeah. You know? No, it's important. I mean, it, I think, you know, um, a, a lot of the time people, you know, just being very one-dimensional and saying, you know, this is rubbish. I didn't like it. It's it's a personal view. Um, whereas if you can relate it to something else, um, then that's helpful to people that read reviews. I, mean, I, I, I don't read too many film reviews because some reviews you read and just they just tell you the plot and they spoil the film yeah, but yeah, you yeah, know yeah. The, the real the really good film critics will talk about um you know with reference to the to the canon of cinema you know um and we'll refer to like other films because we're all riffing off one another you know we're all influenced by things we've previously seen so yeah it, it's a delicate art film criticism definitely mm, yeah <laughs> it really is I, I try I don't really use a, a scoring system mm. just because I think it's everything's very subjective yeah and what I love today tomorrow I might go well it's good mm. but I don't like but you you know it's that different thing so giving something yeah. five out of or four out of it's and sometimes it is dependent on what you just saw Right. Definitely. So if you just saw a really incredible film, the next film might be amazing, but you're comparing it to the last thing. Yeah. So yeah. I'll just be like, I really enjoyed it, or boom, boom, boom. But you know. But um who kind of was your influences to kind of create what you do? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's it is, I wouldn't limit it purely to filmmakers, um, but in terms of the filmmakers that I've liked, um, Julian Temple, um, Patrick Keeler, um, Lynn Ramsey, Andrea Arnold, Ken Loach, um, Andrea Luca Zimmerman, um, who's a, a documentary filmmaker. And, and then in terms of, you know, things outside of cinema, you know, it would be music. So it would be, you know, Joy Division, um, Tindersticks, Bowie, um, and then, you know, artists, um, Edward Hopper, um, Jackson Pollock, you know, um, Picasso, um, and then writers, you know, um, I think 
all of those influences kind of like you know swirl around in your head and sometimes they're at the forefront of your thoughts and sometimes they're not and it comes out in the work um but usually i mean in terms i mean tish was an influence definitely like from as soon as i'd seen her work which would have been around about 2015 it became an influence not only the the work itself but how she made it you know and, mm. and the um the level of uh, care and the empathy you know that was an influence so working on a film about someone that had influenced me that was the first time i've done that really um because i knew i'd heard of polystyrene and i but i wasn't i, I became a fan after making the film but i only knew like a, a couple of songs of hers so she right. wasn't an influence on me when i made the film she's an influence on me now um now that i know her work and have made a film you know with, with celeste about about her but yeah, this was the first time that I was making a film about someone that has influenced me. And, you know, I'm doing a film um, that we're in the edit on at the moment about Irving Welsh. So this is mm. the second time that I've made a film about someone that was an influence on me, you know, growing up. Yeah. And how did that change the approach? Or, you know, mm. like how you're doing it and what you're producing? I suppose, you know, with it's different with tish um and irvin because obviously irvin is still here and you know he's i can talk to him and i already knew him before started making the film so i suppose you you put aside you know how you revere them as a writer or as, as an artist and you have to kind of focus in on the person you know and obviously he, he's a, a brilliant writer and he's um a very influential writer but I don't want to, you know, put a halo on him and, and tell everyone, you know, how great he is. Mm. A lot of people know that. What I want to get to is what drives him, you know, and what, what are his what are his demons, you know. Yes. What 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 compels him to tell these stories, these really dark stories? Because he's a very happy person, a very positive person. So trying to get under, you know, or into his head is is the trick. And so you can't revere someone when you're doing that. You need to sort of approach them on a a more even level, I guess. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. But how? Yeah, how did that come to you? The Irving one? No, like oh. that approach to things, um, right? that mindset, because I can imagine yeah. it might it could be an easy thing and not necessarily you're registering that you're only showing the good stuff. Right. And you'd be like, oh, well, let's not talk about, you know what I mean? But yeah. being able to come at something so measured, right? How yeah. did you kind of develop I, that? I, I mean, I, I guess it's because I've seen things in the past where I've just thought um, that it's too one sided, that it's just, you know, a hagiograph of someone rather than a true portrait. So I, I guess it's, it's coming from it, the perspective of being being in the audience and wanting a more rounded picture and portrait because you know we all have we all have those gray areas in ourselves you know we all, we all have things about ourselves that we don't like that we try and conceal and we all present something to the world that you know we think is what the world wants to see but inside us there are bits we don't want the world to see and those are the bits that you know we might not want the world to see them but yeah the world the world and, and by that i mean people do want to see that they do want to see that kind of you know whether it's the, that darkness or whether it's that side of ourselves that we try and you know keep 
keep away. And I, I think there's a line between going too far and pushing someone to reveal something they don't want to reveal for a very good reason and, and they need their privacy. But I think there are also elements of people that are not harmful, that are that make them out as a truly rounded person and, and, and present them as they really are rather than what they want you to see them as. So it is important, definitely. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good uh, way to, I think, look at things. Yeah, for sure. You know, but um, yeah, how did you get the uh, Irvin Welsh documentary? Oh, I mean, I've, I've knew Irvin um, and just said to him one day, like, no one's done a documentary on you, have they? Like, what do you think about doing one? And and, and he just said yes, and off, and off we went. Um, oh. <laughs> so it was, it was very simple in that respect. He's <laughs> really great to work with. He was very, you know, he's very easy in terms of, you know, uh, he's not someone that says, right, you can't ask this, you can't do that. You, he's he's very open, and you can you can ask him anything. You know, and he's, he's he would, he will we've got great, you know, access to him and his life. So, you know, we were very, very lucky. Ah, oh, fantastic. I've, I've got to shoot off because I've got to go and walk my dog. So, oh, yes. All right. Tell people um, where they can find you. And because I know you've got the, uh, the honey horn, the, the other, the, the, the other Kickstarter project you've got. Oh yeah. I mean, um, yeah, we're, we're starting up um, a Kickstarter for another project, which is called The Light Pours Out of Me. And it's about a legendary Scottish guitarist called John McGeoch, um, who was in magazines, Susie and the Banshees, Public Image. Um, and it's another film made with a daughter. So it'll be the third time I've done that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a Kickstarter that we're launching for a new project. And, yeah, Tish is coming out on the 17th of November um, in select cinemas. We're doing a Q&A tour around the uk so yeah come and see it and um and join the conversation boom and your socials oh at paul sung on twitter um at paul sung one on instagram is where you'll you'll find me splendid people make sure you go check that out trish is a fascinating insight into tish martha so you definitely want to check that out paul thank you so much for your time really yeah. appreciate it thanks kevin all right, take soon. it easy, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So there we go, right? Paul had to... Sometimes I forget how long these things can go. You know, you know what I mean? But that was a great conversation. Real interesting, man. Real interesting. Now... Paul um, is going to be doing a number of Q&As, right? Number of Q&As around the country. Uh, I think starting on the 27th, right? Um, and we are, uh, yeah, we, we've got... Um, all of those dates listed on the website, right? So where there's a booking link, I've included that. So if you want to go see this documentary, you can go now. But if you would like to hear from um, Paul and, uh, gosh, Tish's daughter, you know what I mean? Then why don't you go to one of these... Uh, yeah, go to one of these screenings, you know? So, yeah, people, 
hopefully you enjoy it right it's definitely worth seeing paul's a very good director so it's definitely worth seeing um so yeah there you go now go follow him on the socials so you can track what he's got coming next because as you, as you might have heard it's sounding like it'll be interesting right Irvin walsh yo okay you know what i mean so go do that right go share the, the the videos the podcast with your peoples like it subscribe all of that jazz and go check out part one we looked at five films you know stuff like talk to me right we've got um desperation road there uh what else do we have mafia mama right yeah there's a good few things so um go check out part one and we'll see you next week uh it's gonna be another two-parter so yeah all right people peace